looking after your body, you've only really got one place to live and it's not your property, it's your body. So you have to take care of it. G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and as always, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in to one of our episodes. This week, I'm recording this episode on Wadarang country, and we've got the one and only Joy McClymon. Now, Joy is an absolute firecracker. She has so much energy, and I reckon you'd have to, to fit in as much as she does into a day. I thought we could kind of fit this conversation into our health and wellbeing chat, but actually, I thought Joy is actually one of these absolute powerhouse superwomen that are just part of the ag industry. So kicking off our month, which is focusing on women in agriculture, who better to start it off than Joy McClamont? Let's get into it. I do want to kick off. I think, Joy, we've, we're going to cover, I think, your background as a farmer, fitness instructor, uh, school of the air teacher now, obviously, as you just said, kind of off air, you're now doing distance ed PE classes. But I, which you probably have no idea, but I was at um, the Young Beef Producers Forum a few years ago when you were emceeing. And my first interaction with you, Joy, was, I think it must have been the day after everything kicked off. I was hungover. Well, I think everyone was hungover. And you got everyone up to do star jumps and squats and whatnot first up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Would that have been you? All the memories. I've been so chuffed. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to check in and I'm wondering if you can use one word to describe how you're feeling physically and one word to describe how you're feeling mentally this morning. Yeah. Physically, I'm actually uh, pretty um, not off the charts energised, but I would say moderately um feeling confident within my own ability and that's not always been the case mind you I don't wake up every morning and just like yeah fire in my belly um but I have been banking some seriously good sessions and when you have some bank of of consistency behind you and I had a pretty shaky year with illness last year so you know you've got to be crappy to appreciate how good it is when it is good so I've got quite a few sessions behind me so I'm actually feeling quite strong and and been doing a lot more recovery work, so I don't feel very stiff and sore. Um, so physically, I feel good. I haven't done a workout yet. I'm still dressed in my gear ready. I'll have to go and draft sheet in this kit until I get my workout done this afternoon. <laughs> I've always got workout gear on. Um, and so, yeah, feeling good that way. Was it that you wanted me to say also how I felt mentally, Ollie? Yeah, Sorry, one, one word for that. Yeah. One word, geez, was I meant to use one word for the other one too? That's, that's no, you, you came to um, strong, good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all those things. Mentally uh, stimulated, I think that is probably the case when you've got a fair few exciting balls in the air, um, this being one of them. So I love talking to people and especially on this podcast, Ollie, it's always a great opportunity to, yeah, go through some um, – really important stuff. So yeah, I think definitely stimulated and, and excited about um, what's ahead this year, particularly. So that's good. Oh, that's exciting. I would love for you, we're recording this on a Friday, so everyone has a bit of reference, but can you just run me through what's going on in your world today, just for <laughs> what one day looks like in the life of joy? Yeah. Yeah. It's always a little bit hit bits and pieces. Hey, cause it's kids it's school, it's property, um, stock work, it's um, off the track training and it's now PE and it's now a bit of a podcast. And, and I love that it's a real mix every day. So I'm never doing the same thing all of the time um, and that suits me. But today, yep, got up early. Um, I had to do some jobs outside with Paulie. So didn't do my workout this morning. Um, got the kids up, fed them put them in the schoolroom. Oh, sorry, took them for a run. So ran the dogs and the kids. And then um, put them in the schoolroom um, and set up the school because they do distance ed. So getting all that humming, they're on air at the moment. Um, Paulie went off to muster some dorpers. We've got a draft. So I just heard him on the motorbike go past. Um, and after this, so he knew I had this um, interview to do, this podcast episode. So he knows that I'll be unavailable for the next hour or so. 
Um, so I'll probably put them in the yards, give them a bit of a rest, come back and get me at 10 or so. Then the boys will come off air. Um, so we'll draft those sheep, come back into the schoolroom and I'll teach a few lessons. And then I've got some programming to do for some off the track training clients. And then, um, yeah, then I'll be cooking lunch and then cooking dinner and then doing a little bit more sheep work and then back in the schoolroom. And then, <laughs> and then I'll go for a run this afternoon. I want to go up and do some hill work. So um, it's about 7K away. So I'll just um, head up there and do some hills for 45 and come back. And Paulie's on dinner duty tonight. It's mutton fritters. Not that healthy, but, it, geez, it floats his boat. He's so excited. <laughs> so that, that allows me to just go off and do my run and not have to worry about cooking dinner tonight. And then we've got cricket in the morning. So we head to town for it's an hour and 20 away. So got to be in there by 7.30 kickoff. So, yeah, that's tomorrow. Is exciting. Oh my god, your day is hectic. How <laughs> how do you stay across everything? Well, you don't really, and I think there's a lot of people doing exactly what I'm doing, if not more. And I think you just take one step at a time. You go, okay, what what can I chip off now? What can I do next? What can I do next? I could never sit down and plan my day from go to woe. I probably could if I really wanted to and thought I needed to, but. A lot of the stuff that I do, um, I do because it's the right time to do it. So teaching school, okay, I can fit this lesson in now. And I feel like doing it. So I might um, write an email or a blog post or record a workout or do some programming because I feel like it's the right time and I'm in the right frame of mind to do it. And I've learned probably very early on that if, you know, you do have to push through some things, but it's never... Um, as good so if I feel like I'm really flogging a dead horse with with fitness or a job I've got to do I just give myself a little rest and reprieve I might lie down do a meditation for five minutes I might stretch I might go for a walk just to reset and then get some energy and then clarity and then come back into it I could never just do it and like you just end up hating it and and really pushing through it um you can get yourself to a place of really wanting to do it, even if you just give yourself five minutes. So that's, I suppose, how I get through each day. I do break it up. I do have breaks. I definitely have rests. I definitely have downtime. And then I can come back and, and get it done more efficiently. Yeah. And in terms of priorities, I'm guessing the schoolroom is a pretty important one for the kids. Can Because it's so foreign to me and maybe to many other people, but school of the air still exists, but it is a little bit different, I think to my understanding of people aren't just on two ways anymore, but how are the kids actually learning and where's their teacher coming to them from? Yeah. Well, our kids go through long reach distance ed. There's lots of different distance eds around Cairns, Charleville, Manizer, um, Capricornia and Emerald. Um, and ours are through long reach cause that's our closest town. They have a teacher in there um, that teaches them the lessons and they're on air, which is like a webinar like this. So they're on like a electronic whiteboard. It's called um, QLearn and it was Collaborate. Now it's QLearn and there's lots of tools. So the teachers can put up videos. Um, everybody can see each other on video and hear each other. Mostly if the internet's playing the game, they can put up slides on the screen. The kids can write on the slides. They can put put into breakout rooms where the kids can do individual work on sheets and the teachers can see them. Um, so they do a lot of their lessons on air now, whereas in the past, and I used to be a distance ed teacher many years ago at Charters Towers, it was all from the papers, from paper-based learning and the teacher at home, the home tutor or the parent, the govy, used to do lots of the teaching, but now it's really changed. There's a lot more teaching on air. So that actually allows me, now that I've only got two kids in the schoolroom, I used to have four, um, to have some time. So really they're on air for two hours the first part of the day from 8.30 to 10.30. So that chunk of time for me is really about off the track training. You know, I might do my workout in that time. I might go and help Paulie. It's a chunk of time. So um, their distance ed day is a mixture of their teacher in um, the distance ed teaching them and me teaching them the other subjects that aren't delivered on air. So times tables, um, handwriting, maybe a science lesson, um, some catch-up work or some finish-off work from the on-air lessons. So that's where it's all spread out. Gosh. Do the kids miss out? Like I know I just used to live for morning tea and lunchtime and 
always when that bell went, the last play was tackle when it came to footy. But um, do, the, do the kids miss out on that interaction? And I guess the question is because with you doing your um, distance ed PE teaching, like how do you incorporate, I guess, the fun side of things as well, which kids get from that physical interaction through mm. digital means? Yeah. Look, they don't know what they don't know a lot of these kids because they've never been to a standard school, so they don't know how much fun playtime is, whereas we both do. Like yeah. we, we know that's the highlight. Uh, and usually they just have their animals and their brothers and sisters to play with, which is not always awesome, and their parents, which is not always that exciting. So when they do go away to school, they love it. However, I think it's important to just, um, as parents, we do have to step up a little and actually set a bit of a precedence for how much activity they get in the day. Very easy to sit kids in front of a screen and then give them some downtime by sitting again, especially when it's hot. And so uh, for, for our classroom, for our environment, I always, I always have something that the kids are going to do every morning. We alternate between strength and cardio. Um, they know they've got to go for a jog today, you know, nonstop down to the end of the airstrip and back, or today's a straight circuit. Yesterday we did, you know, pull-ups and um, push-ups and squats and then run. So we mix it up a bit. No, it's not always a game. My, my boys do love cricket and footy, so we kick the footy around. We've got a pool. They go for a swim. They don't always want to do it. They don't always love to do it. They don't always have fun with each other. It's not always a game but they know that it's an important part of them keeping fit as kids and also learning in the classroom and also building um, their physical strength and ability. So I think, you know, that's the thing that, yes, it'd be great if it was fun and they had a group of kids to play with each day and mum and dad had the energy and the capacity to have fun with them playing every day and we try to, but at the end it's also important for them to acknowledge the role that, fitness plays in in a life as young kids and also as adults so you know my two girls are away at boarding school now and they have a pretty healthy relationship with sport they're not over the top and they're not underdone but they just had a real 2k a day because we started that when um, my eldest was in year six 2k a day no more no less you don't have to do any more than 2k you don't have to do any less it just sets a bit of a okay as long as I'm gonna do my 2k a day I'm, I'm winning. And um, if all goes pear-shaped, I only have to do 2K. So it's those strategies that I think are good. And it does, you know, the boys complain about going out and doing something, you know, often, <laughs> not all the time, but they always love it. They always come back with a big smile on their face. It's a bit like adults. They hate the start of the workout, but then once they finish, it's like, oh, yeah, this, that was awesome. And, yeah, so we're not always going to start with, a smile on our dog going, yes, can't wait for this. <laughs> it's always going to be a bit grumpy. Oh, I had that this morning. And, you know, what? I'm, I'm in Adelaide at the moment. I came down because we've got a few different things on and I was, had a, um, I, was, I was presenting last night. And so I think I got back at like 10.30 and then I was, I'm signed up to do an eight-week challenge at the gym I go to. Anyway, it doesn't start for another week, but I was like, no, nah, I better go. Yeah. So when my alarm went off this morning, I was like, oh, do I just cancel or not? And then I was like, I don't actually think I can front up to Joy, consciously knowing <laughs> that I was just like push the work out that I, I should do. So there you go. You're having an influence on me too. <laughs> I know. It's the um, it's the impression that I give, like that I'm a real drill sergeant, but I'm, I'm seriously compassionate. I would completely understand, hence why I missed my workout this morning. So, But I'm glad it's working for you to see me in that light. <laughs> no, I, I'll just say thank you. But I'm really keen to understand your childhood, influences of agriculture, and I think fitness as well. But what was your childhood like and where where did you grow up? Oh, mate, I just grew up in the most simple, simple, non-flash working class bottom of the run farming, um, but great environment and family. Um, I grew up at Gundawindi um, and my dad worked in a hardware store, but also was a share farmer. And before that, he um, was a full-time farmer. And we had a block of land that we leased out. Then we owned a block of land that we we um, intermittently, you know, put a crop on. So um, he, he, my dad's very sporty, always been very good boxing, basketball, running, tennis, could put his hand at anything. 
um, always fit and, and had a vigilant exercise routine that he did every day, even now. So I, I think it's something he learned when he was um, boxing as a young teenager. And, you know, boxers, they are very strict with their um, fitness regime. And he just had an old um, axe handle, uh, axe head in a sock. That was his weight. I'll never forget it. I always just used to wonder what it was. And the last time I was home, I was like, that is actually an axe head. Like I never <laughs> realised that he had in a footy sock. Um, and he would just be doing his sit-ups, his push-ups, his dumbbell swing things. Like it was stuff that we die, your dad's doing, his but he never missed it. And, it, you know, he never missed a session um, ever and still doesn't and still does his, you know, sit-ups and core and, uh, yeah, it's amazing. So I think probably my biggest sporting influence was dad. Mum struggled big time with PE. I don't think she can catch and she's probably not going to listen to this podcast, but the poor thing struggles big time. She actually has a vision impairment, so which makes it really difficult. But um. Yeah, but she was definitely the one that made it possible for us to do sport because she used to drive us everywhere and feed us. So without her, we'd be buggered as well. But Gundawindi is always and has always been a pretty sporty town. And we didn't have the flashest of sports, but we had just enough. Um, and if you were involved in sport, it was almost like your social currency, like it is in small towns, yeah? It, it just drives small towns. Sport is what um, keeps it alive. And Gundawindi was exactly the same. So from as young as I can remember, I'd always played basketball because the basketball club was really strong. Um, from that, I never really trained for running and stuff, but always, you know, did athletics. And um, and then, you know, I'd always done basketball, netball, team sports. And then when I was about, I think, 11, I just was getting such bad asthma that I started swimming. And I was a really crappy swimmer, swimmer, Ollie, like, you know, short, short stroke, bad breathing, terrible lung capacity, never really been taught how to swim, even though we lived near a river. I could swim, but not officially swim as recognised. So I started going to swim squad and, you know, pestering my mum to take me. Um, and I remember being the oldest in sea squad, like there were all these seven-year-olds killing me and I was 12. And... Um, <laughs> I'd just started swim training, which is quite late for a swimmer, you know, like really they're swimming for a lot more years before they're 12. But I'd just started sea squad, bottom, bottom of the run. And um, and I just kept on swimming for the, my whole entire teenage life and learnt a lot of, a lot of amazing things from swim training um, and being in a swim squad and being at the bottom of the run and building up to you know, not not an elite swimmer at all, but holding my own and you know, going head to head with some of the kids that had trained their entire life and were way ahead of me. So, yeah, never an elite swimmer, but still held my own. But swimming was a big thing in Gundawindi and basketball, netball, touch football, rugby, everything. So I think sport and being fit has always been the norm for my life. I've always found it as a thing that, of course, you of course you play sport. Why wouldn't you? Or, of course, you, you're fit. You've got to be. Like, that's just the norm. It's not always the case, and it's probably not the case for every family in Gundawini, but it certainly was for ours. Um, and that has probably set the precedence for, you know, going on to other interests in, in sport and, and exercise. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I'm, I'm interested. So then... Throughout the high school, what were the things you wanted to do? Obviously, sports got a huge influence on you coming from a country town. What were the things that interested you as you kind of headed through high school and out into what was university and adult life? Yeah. So um, I suppose ag was a big interest because, you know, Gundamini being the farming, you know, agricultural hub it is, we'd always done, you know, some farming and even when I finished year 12, um, dad said, look, to pay for your college fees, you'll have to put in a wheat crop and I'll split you the profits and that can pay for your, but that meant I just had to sit on our doorless grader tractor um, for seven, eight hours sitting there watching dad drive and that was my <laughs> duty 
and often hung over, which was even worse. Like, this is hell. I'd rather be driving at least to keep me awake. I can remember fearing for my life, falling out of the of the tractor, just watching Dad drive up and down the crop. But that was part of the deal. I had to turn up, even though I wasn't really doing that, and lots of stick picking and and stuff like that. But it was actually a really good way to learn a bit more about the the farming, the cropping side of of our lives because I wasn't heavily involved. Um, I did ag at school, which was really great. Um, we learnt lots of fundamentals. But when I went away to university, I did teaching. I didn't do ag as such. However, it's so weird because you you sort of get um, pulled in different directions. So I, I worked on a lot of farms overseas when I was travelling. I ended up teaching in lots of rural communities and working on people's places, um, cattle places, cattle stations and things like that. And then... I actually wasn't very handy and never, never really, you know, shone out as a seriously awesome station hand. However, I did learn a lot and it does pay to work for lots of different people to see how different people do it. Um, so when I came here, I had very little experience. Um, but going to university in Armidale as well, being surrounded by ag down there, it's a very strong ag university. Had lots of friends um, on properties and used to always go to their places, help them during different times as much as I could. And and so have seen a lot of differences between obviously farming and on the Darling Downs and New South Wales. And I think that's really important for young people to do is just go and work and see all aspects of agriculture and how it looks and feels different in different states and different parts of, of the country. And then come back and, and take the best of what you see and apply it, if it can be, to your place. And Sometimes I, you know, I, I had a lot of friends that sort of went to uni and then went straight home and never worked for anyone else. And they they now really struggle and think, well, is this the only way, you know? Um, so it's it's good that I sort of had that splattering, very surface level type of experience across ag, you know, from Gundawindi to New South Wales and, and up here to Queensland and even different parts of Queensland because it, it's just so different in different areas about how people run their properties and, what, what you have to consider with the environment. So, yeah, that's um that's a little bit of the how agriculture and, and sport all started in my life. It's it's interesting, isn't it? I, I got, uh, well, I think when I went through uni, I kind of had this view that that first job, like you build it up, it's like, oh, I've landed the dream job, love what I do, et cetera, because I think, you know, no different. But then I got given some advice from someone and it was uh, to like, use the time to find out like what I don't want to do and mm. that'll slow. Cause I, I think I had like all these different ideas in my head, but the only way to work out in term, which I found in with things of what I didn't want to do in like task wise, but also people who I really don't want to be like, and the more workplaces you work in, the more exposure you get yeah. to that. And I think that kind of starts to help you lead towards where you're meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just had as many great coaches in sport as I had crappy ones. And I was just actually writing some notes about this the other day about the great coach I had with swimming. Like he was amazing, still one of my best friends and taught me so much about being committed and, and swimming, but mainly mindset stuff. But then I've had some crappy coaches who I've heard, you know, place bets against me before a race and... <laughs> <laughs> just like shitty stuff like that you think wow I was in primary school then and he, I heard him you know place a $10 bet that I wouldn't win and it's like oh my god anyway um yeah but you learn and even I can remember the stuff that I used to do because you can get swept up in lots of different directions can't you in any sort of career path and there's lots of different things that you can do in fitness and when I was at university I did my like aerobics certificate so you know grapevine sidestep <laughs> this is like choreographed <laughs> overload and I you know I liked it at the time and then I used to take this the Albies you know Albies College at UNE their football team for aerobic session and I'll just never forget you know, some of the guys I run into now I go how bad was that like that was just so bad for them to do what was the reaction like Oh, they were amazingly compliant, but so whingy, like <laughs> such whinges. And even one of them now I often see and I 
I still say, what about that time you just whinge the whole entire time through the aerobics class? It's not their bag at all. But then from that, you really realise that that's not what you want to do. And, yeah, you can try things out. And I think that's the beauty is that you can flick it because there's definitely lots of different pathways that really float your boat. Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives, those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. Is there one aspect of the things that you're doing now that you love more than the others? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's um, sitting down and writing sessions is good for a short amount of time and programming, but it's not as good as when you're actually coaching. Like it's the coaching side, the interaction with people, the support, the conversations, the accountability, the mindset chats, the, you know, working through challenges. That's the stuff I love. I could do it all day, every day. Um, Sitting down and writing out, a program or loading up sessions is okay in short bouts if I'm getting interaction from them. But just to write programs for program sakes and just put it out there to the world, I'm sort of done with that. Um, I've done a lot, <laughs> a lot of it, and I'm sort of like, okay, I don't want to write any more sessions anymore that nobody's actually going to, that I don't really know what they're doing. Um, and there's just like the fitness world is flooded with stuff that you can do. Nothing's original. I'm not inventing anything new. It's been done before. There's stuff that I definitely don't like and I definitely, you know, hate reading or or types of programs that really don't resonate with me. But um, there's, there's just specific types of programming and sessions that I think really benefit people and are easier to follow and they're the sorts of things that I, I like to write. So, yeah, within fitness itself, Love still learning a lot, particularly around um, how difficult it is for men and women as we get older. Um, and you're probably not in that bracket yet, Ollie. But it hopefully will not. And you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it will come. <laughs> and yeah, just some of the challenges associated with people at different stages of their life. Uh, and I think also just boosting the. I just want to boost the priority and the presence of fitness in in rural settings it just gets shoved under the carpet so much um I was just thinking about my husband who's an avid runner and how our life is when we finish our work day which is often long and hard and all that sort of stuff we don't actually come in and and crack a beer we might every now and again like once a month or something but we actually get our our run gear on so we and that's just standard now we just finish the day and get our run gear on because we know somebody's going to run or somebody's going to do a workout. And our kids just go, oh, what are you doing this afternoon, you know? Like they just know it's a standard part. So as much as it is the culture to finish a work day and just sit down and crack a beer, which is absolutely fine, no judgment on that part, it's not our norm. And, you know, it can change really easily if you want it to and we just value our health and fitness so much that we've never compromised that now. So um, people think they can't do it, They, but it's just that they don't see how it can work within the habits that they have currently going on. They just don't see how it can be changed, whereas it absolutely can. And I don't know if there's many, like you said, the, the fitness market, health market is flooded, but I don't think there's too many people that are running uh, a fitness and personal training business from the outback. Um, I guess, what are the challenges of it? But then also too, what are the benefits that you see of doing that? Mm. 
You know, it's interesting because I could be like a, a city trainer trying to put that into an agricultural setting and that doesn't actually work. Um, and so you have to be really imaginative. You've really got to know what life is like for you. You've got to really understand where people are at in order to deliver a program and service a population that has specific types of needs and, and characteristics to their life. That's important. Um, the cookie cutter approach across all different lifestyles never actually works because people want to know that you understand that they've spent the whole day in the sheepyards. And to go in and look at a session and take 20 minutes to figure out what's written there, it's never going to be conducive to consistency. And so these are the things I had to learn very early on when I started off the track, off the track training because I was trying to fit uh, a, a nine-to-five job, city life type of fitness program into a working 24-hour-a-day sort of cattle property or cattle and sheep property, and it was never going to work, especially with kids thrown in the mix and all those responsibilities. So I think the most important thing for for me and the biggest learning has been how can I make this just so simple for people to do that they can't not do it? Like it's got to fit in with life. It's got to be something they can pick up and just do. And, and that um, simplicity is what builds consistency. And then down the track they're more open to being a little bit more complicated because they're ready for it. Or once they've established that commitment and that, um, you know, oh, yep, this is just part of what I do, then they and they know what to do, then they're confident to tweak it a little bit and challenge themselves. But that could be six months away or 12 months away or two years away. So delivery-wise, you know, when I first started, it was via phone and fax because there was no Facebook and there was no <laughs> stable internet at all and definitely no video webinar conferencing. So I used to fax the programs to people and I used to dial in on the phone and we still do this, dial in on the phone and do a teleconference with a headset um, on my hand, on my cordless phone and I just bossed them through a workout for 20 minutes. And I got really good at being explicit with how to explain what to do, what exercises to do. But I also just kept this workout so simple they knew how to do a high knee march on the spot. Like it wasn't me trying to explain a hang power clean snatch. Like <laughs> Whatever just, that is. Yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> I just kept it really simple, but it, it really ticked their boxes because a lot of people just, you know, there's a lot of people that didn't grow up understanding exercise terms and a lot of the people that I train are over 50 and have bought their first pair of sneakers whilst I've been in the program. So they've never had a history of exercise and they don't know what a burpee sit-up, like what all that sort of means. Um, but so we've really got to teach people these movements but also make sure they're doing them properly. So you're always thinking, right, squeeze here, position there. You're always thinking about setting them up without being able to see them. So that was a big challenge, but at least yeah. what it did was give people an ability to connect and just dial in and know that everyone was on there. They could say good day to everyone, and you just had, I just muted them all, and then I just had to boss them through the workout. And hopefully, there's been some workouts though I can remember doing like a thirty minute workout and then realizing I was on mute for thirty minutes, <laughs> and I, I had all them muted, and they've. But no one can tell yeah, you. That. Up, no. And then I've looked at my phone going, oh, crap. 30 minutes, they've been sitting there in silence listening to me and I've been sweating it out. So oh. there's been some major stuff-ups. But, yeah. <laughs> what's what's the impact that you are making or really want to make and, and kind of why are you doing off the track? Well... I have been training a group of 50 and there's like 200 people in the Enjoys Fitness Hub and 50 of them have been with me for nearly eight years, I would say. Wow. And it's amazing. So if you want to talk about seeing progress, I look at those 50 and think about where they started. And I think the biggest thing, the most resounding thing is they've changed their their perspective of fitness and how they see themselves and what they see fitness as because a lot of people are really scared of it and think it's got to be extreme, it's got to be this, it's got to be that. I'm just looking for people to value it generally 
just to value it, to value the part that it plays in your life and just to start prioritising it. That's really where it is. And that that's a tough enough gig in rural Australia. If I can just get it bumped up to the top three of priorities on a person's in a person's life, you know, probably below stock fences and waters, I'm doing really well. And um, many years ago when I first started off the track training, and, and that would be, you know, it's close to 15 years ago when I first started now, people just were not open to talking anything about fitness back then. Like they just, it was the work hard attitude. Why would I need to do anything outside of that in order to stay fit and healthy? That has really changed. I can now talk in most groups at any age and everyone will be in agreement that it does actually have a really important part to play in your life in rural Australia. How that looks and how that shows up is different. But I just really feel that off-the-track training, you know, really has inched its way forward in just making the wider population in rural Australia value health and fitness. And come to us if you need some support. Come to us if you need some help. But there's, you know, there's lots of people dotting up in rural Australia now offering lots of different types of fitness options, and that's great. Diversity is what matters. The important part is that they're doing it and they're prioritising it. So for me, that's been a, a seriously important focus. Um, and probably the second one is just connection and support. I mean, when I started off the track training, I did it because I felt so lonely when it came to fitness. I felt like I was the only one in rural Australia trying to run and or, or doing anything. And I, it's not the case. There would have been plenty. But I just didn't have, you know, when you go to the gym or you go to a running group or a workout, you have that community of people. You have trainers, coaches, you laugh, you go to coffee. It's a social thing. And like I said, growing up in Gundawindi, sport was the social currency. Fitness in the city is a social currency. You know, everybody knows everyone from the gym, the workout class, the running group. And I wanted to create that for rural Australia because we do have a really strong community in the hub, in Joy's Fitness Hub and in off-the-track training, and, and they know each other so well and they have each other's back and they encourage each other when they feel like giving up. And not giving up is, like, worth so much. If you can just get someone to not give up, you are doing so well. And and if we can just do that, we're winning. Um, what what are the farmers that are involved in it kind of telling you? And what are they observing of the role in with the fitness tied into their farming businesses? Yeah, this is such an important connection. Um, I have a lot of women in my programs, but I have also some men who are in the backgrounds exercising with their wives or just doing their own thing, pretending not to. Too proud to <laughs> front up and put their name <laughs> yeah. on the screen, but actually really want to do it. Yeah, but I have quite a few fellas that have found um, trail running, so my husband being one, and there's there's quite an, another couple of fellas who, who love trail running, and that's because it suits them. It suits their environment. It suits their no-fuss attitude. They just get out there and run. And I suppose, yeah, what I think I've noticed the biggest shift in people when it comes to exercise and farming is that they have this out. They have this ability, like fitness for them allows them to just think about something completely different, some time away from the property, just to clarify what where they're at within agriculture, where they're at within farming, where they're at within themselves, essentially. And that flows on to how you interact, manage, work, all those sorts of things within farming. Not like definitely physically. So to be able to work hard, you have to be physically strong, fit, all those sorts of things. And also um, mentally it allows you some time away from the business that's not involved with, you know, drinking, which is not going to help really, and um, negative behaviour or bad attitudes, um and that sort of thing. So it's a, just a healthy way to have some time away from the business so that you can be more efficient and effective when you re-enter. I'll never forget my husband's one thing that he said when he started running. Um, this is early days when he was training. He said it gave him a chance to run boundary on his mind 
and let out the negative thoughts around what he was capable or the property, you know, negative things about the property and let in the good. So it was like he was just sifting through his thoughts. And when you think about the times that you go for a walk or a long, steady run or you're just, you know, doing something like that, um, long, steady stuff, you do actually start to really solve problems. You do start to sift through your thoughts and you always come up with solutions and, and mindset and you always finish in a better space than you started. Um, and that in itself is more powerful than, you know, anything else. I just feel like if you're not doing that, if you're not um, having an exercise you know, routine or a set something that you do for exercise outside of work, you are missing out on feeling that. I don't know anything else that would give you it. Like obviously meditation, yoga, long walks, runs, rides, weight sessions. There's so much stuff that you can do. There's there's nothing else that I know of that can give you the same amount of confidence and mental clarity like exercise does. And agriculture is demanding. And when something is so demanding mentally and physically, you actually need to give yourself more time away in order to re-enter with robustness because it will really exhaust you mentally and physically. And I think that's where we've gone wrong in the past is thinking that we just need to work harder, just need to work harder, um, bust our guts. And that's valued so much in rural Australia, as you know. But I think there's a smarter way of working and using that energy more effectively as well. Yeah. So for me, what I see mostly in especially the women is a real boost of self-confidence and self-assurance within themselves that they're doing something for themselves that's not associated with keeping kids fed and upright, property stuff. You know, it's something separate for them. So that's a big part of that. For men, it's similar, but it's almost like they get an escape from the work pressure. Um, and they just have that time out and it's something else to think about rather than how much money you owe or what the seasons are doing. And you can get caught in that bubble pretty swiftly as well. You absolutely can. And I think if you look at like in the professional environment, and we're going to try and chat to a couple of people who are involved in both or have come from farming backgrounds, but are professional athletes, but rest is such an important part for them to perform at their peak. And I think anyone is saying that there's absolutely no way that you're going to make a grand final in September unless you one have a really good off season the year before and then two yeah. during the season you're actually taking that time out in different ways yeah. I think you look at literally the structure of a footy season and they've got buy rounds and periods yeah. out and it's like well it's it's obviously very deliberate <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think you know there's a couple of facets I think about the men that exercise as well that are farmers because you know, it takes a lot to finish a long day, hot day and put on your run gear. Mm. However, um, they, you know, I look at Paulie doing it and he's got a lot of drive for it and, and it just, it makes them feel so powerful to do something tough that they're in control of as well. It's not associated with anything to do with seasons and makes them just feel so good about themselves and, and how much they can achieve as well. So it's, it's really that um, new sense of of excitement and energy that comes from achieving and doing something tough that has nothing nothing to do with your business. It's something so separate that challenges you in a different way. But as you said, recovery is important. So that's also a really tough part for people on properties because they're working hard and then they've got to face up to training. So what does training look like on different days in, in relationship to how they've done that day? Um, the Dr. Shona Halson, who I think is the recovery coach for the Olympic team, she's got a great quote. It, it changed my whole perspective. I always remember it. Yeah, um, you're only as good as the workout you recover from. So you're only as good. At, so the, you won't benefit from the workout unless you actually recover. If we're always flogging it, we're never going to benefit from the hard work that we do. And I think probably it's the same for agriculture. If you don't step, take some time out and step back and look at what you have done, then you not actually ever feel like you're achieving anything and you're always like, oh, there's more to do, more to do, more to do. You've just actually got to take some time out to recognise your progress so far and to benefit from that. I do have a question because, like, and I don't want to reflect too much in the past, but I think, like, with, say, 
fitness and or any kind of hobby people can build unhealthy relationships with it for for you guys as you went through the drought and things were getting more difficult on the farm whatever that may have looked like how how did you guys balance yeah i guess your fitness piece by making sure it didn't kind of overpower and become an unhealthy habit and outlet yeah yeah um someone said last night reminded me of a quote i used to have you can't outrun a bad diet and sort of the same applies. You can't outrun a drought. <laughs> yeah. You can't exercise your way out of um, everything, you know. Um, it's definitely helps to put you in a headspace in order to deal with things better. Um, but burnout is real. And you have to acknowledge the physical and mental exhaustion that drought plays on you in order to choose what your training regime looks like. And that's, that's something that everyone has to do all of the time. So, so for example, if your physiological load is really high because of lack of sleep, overwork, high stress, low nutrition, so often when we work really hard, we go slack on the food and the water, like they're all stresses on the body. They put a huge physiological load on there. And then if you then go and bust your guts in a workout, you just, you know, exercise is stress. It's, it's good stress. It's manageable stress but only if you take the pedal off the metal. So I think during a drought, we were busy. Yeah, we were we were challenged. We were stressed. We were worried a lot of the time. Um, we were uncertain. And exercise probably helped us to just stay really present, take one day at a time, go for that long walk. Um, yeah, just, just stay really present and not try and get too emotionally invested into what we're going to do in the future you know it's going to happen tomorrow is it going to rain is it not are we ever going to get out of drought are we going to ever have sheep or grass back here like it's worrying but I think exercise you know doing it at that time you're in the present and it helped us to just stay in that moment for a bit um and take a bit of the pressure off worrying about what the future held um we did actually do some pretty scary goals when we were in drought. I uh, like run a hundred Ks and <laughs> do some big stuff, but I think it was fun. It was fun. We needed something challenging that we had control over. And that, that is actually, you know, what it comes down to it. There's a lot of uncontrollables on a property. And when you're training for a, an event, everything's within your control, what you do and don't do. And it sort of had that outside interest really helps. Wow. Well, I think before you disappear and go back to um, drafting some sheep and then back into the school room, I've got a couple of questions. First one being, I'd love your advice. Why should people on farm be prioritizing their well-being? Well, it comes down to um, the type of person you want to feel and want to be now and into the future. And so uh, the more you neglect something, the bigger the bite's going to be down the track. And remember, there is always a better way to feel. So if you feel like you're really struggling with energy, sleep, mental clarity, mood, emotions, you know, whatever it might be, brain fog, and you want to just have something for yourself that's within your control, exercise, you know, really fills that gap. So it will influence how you operate now and obviously into the future, it's like making small deposits in your bank account. Every workout counts, every good meal counts. Looking after your body, you've only really got one place to live and it's not your property, it's your body. So you have to take care of it. Um, and it's it's so important for the people around you as well. A lot of people may not want to take care of it for themselves at the start, but think about your kids, your wife, your husband, your grandkids, Think about how much you want to be there for them. And that sometimes is enough. A lot of people struggle with doing it for themselves, Ollie, like, ah, oh, so selfish. However, I always try and get them to step outside themselves and say, okay, if this was a friend of yours or if it was your daughter or your son and they were in this predicament with their health and fitness and mental health and well-being, what would you say to them? What gaps can you see? For them, and they often say, yeah, I'd say exercise, eat healthy. Don't worry about feeling guilty. This is about you looking after yourself so you can serve everyone else. And it's easier for them to cope with that. 
So putting it into perspective and looking at it from different angles can sometimes help people to realise the important part that prioritising health and wellbeing will play in their life now and in many years to come. Mm. And one final question. We're going back into the schoolroom. You get the chance to talk to year 10 students at a school, wherever it might be, <laughs> but about yeah. why kids kind of all over in year 10 should consider a agriculture as a potential career what would be your advice to them <laughs> well you'll never get a more diverse sector really there are so many roles within agriculture and it's so fulfilling because you're doing something that has a direct impact on the population from a baseline level of health and well-being so agriculture really is an amazing you know, industry, because it's of, it, of its diversity. I mean, you think about all the roles that people play within agriculture, you know, all the different types of farming and animals, and there's just so much. And I think it can give people such a really solid and healthy perspective on what's going to really make our, our population thrive environmentally and socially. There's so much to learn from agriculture in relationship to people, like how we treat the environment and animals and how we react and re and relate with people. Um, there's so many uh, sort of similarities there and I think we can learn by being involved in agriculture. That sort of flows on to how we evolve as a population as well. Well, Joy, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. Um, I'm amazed how you managed to fit that into just what seems like a normal Friday for you amongst everything you've, <laughs> you've got on, but I really appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, diversity is important variety is definitely the spice of life ollie so yeah i love doing different things it's very good very fun now nah, you and me both you and me both <laughs> yeah very good well that's it for another week i hope you guys enjoyed that episode we've got a bit of an all-star lineup coming up for the month of march as we focus on women in agriculture and we are actually finishing it with an event in Melbourne, live podcast. We've got three epic superstars that will be joining us live in person. So if you are in Melbourne, make sure you go over to our social media or our website, humansofagriculture.com, and get your ticket. Otherwise, we'll have that live episode out later in the month. But between now and then, we've got another four incredible women in agriculture who are having an awesome impact, and their stories will be shared soon. Look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. Can't wait to see you soon. See ya.